Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Inaction has decimated America. With the stroke of a pen, Texas Governor Greg Abbott signed into law what the ACLU dubs one of the most radical anti-immigrant bills ever passed by any state. Senate Bill 4 is now law in the state of Texas. SB 4 creates a new state crime for illegal entry into Texas, gives local police the power to arrest, and judges the power to remove violators. But the problem is far more than just numbers. Well, it sounds dramatic to say the strictest laws ever passed by any state. Well, states aren't supposed to pass laws about a federal issue like illegal immigration. But the point is the federal government is doing nothing about it. So I guess we'll try. And as we talked about earlier in the show with Tim, the lawyer, Tim Sandifer, you know, this will probably get hung up in the courts. But there is a chance that the Supreme Court says the federal government is actually not addressing something they're supposed to address, and so we'll let the states do it. There's a possibility that could happen. By the way, something. Back on December 5th, two weeks ago, 12,000 migrants were encountered at our border. I don't know who decided to use this language, migrants encountered. Illegals crossed most of the time getting in and staying here. 12,000, that was the highest ever in a single day. A record back on December 5th. Two weeks later, yesterday, Fort. 15,000 encountered at the border. A new record, everybody. Nice job. Setting new records regularly for illegal immigration. Unbelievable. As we often do whenever we're talking about this topic, we turn to the Center for Immigration Studies and a variety of people we've talked to over the years. And today we're going to talk to Stephen Camerata, lead author of a report saying the majority of immigrant households Use welfare. I would like to know more about that. Stephen, welcome to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Thanks for having me. So what can you tell us about uh, who uses... Because one of the arguments... Well, there, there are two arguments. Uh, one of the arguments for closing down the borders is that the people come across 
and they uh, they drain our resources and cost taxpayer money, taxpayers money. Then colleges come out with these sophisticated studies and say, no, they actually contribute to the economy more than they take. So what have you found? Yeah, so, okay, uh, a lot of times people say different terminologies. A couple of things. Um, when we talk about immigrants overall in this data, uh, the first number, 54% of all immigrant households use one of the major welfare programs. A lot of it is the non-cash programs like food stamps and public housing and the earned incomes tax credit and all that sort of stuff. Um, so when we're talking about that, we look at the fiscal impact of immigrants on the United States, all the taxes they pay and all the services they use, that looks to be negative. One of the things you have to decide, though, on that, just methodologically, is what do you do with children? Um, so a person has a child who's enrolled in school, and that child's on Medicaid, and that child is receiving free lunches or is on the WIC program or what have you. Um, how do you count that since the child was born here? Uh. If you want to make the immigrants not seem like they're a fiscal burden, you just exclude all that. And you say, none of that matters, yes. The parent is not able to provide for the child, so the child technically is getting the food stamps. The child is on Medicaid. Right. The child gets WIC, but none of that, that's all counted for native expenses because the child was born here. If you count the children of immigrants with the young children, their dependent children, if you will, with the immigrants themselves, you usually end up with a negative number. That doesn't mean that the children will not grow up and be... Um, uh, at least average. That doesn't mean that, but it means right now and for the foreseeable future, the immigrants and their kids are a net fiscal drain. Now, one other point, if you want to go a little deeper, I'll just this. Because they, we live in a society that's unwilling to tax itself for all the things that we want mm -hmm. and that we borrow so much money, that's also another factor to consider is that the average person is basically in fiscal deficit because we're not willing to raise taxes to pay for all the stuff we want to give out at the federal level. At the state level, where you have to have balanced budgets, uh, whenever you do a calculation, immigrants are unambiguously a fiscal drain, paying less in taxes than they use in services, if you count the kids. Now, on the final point, the economics, which I won't go much into, there's no question that uh, the U.S. economy is hundreds of billions of dollars, actually well more than a trillion dollars larger than it otherwise would be because we have so many more people in the country. Whether that is a benefit to the native-born, whether that increases the per capita GDP in the United States, totally different questions. But there's no question more people means a bigger economy, more economic activity, more laborers, more consumers. That doesn't mean you're richer, because if all that mattered was the aggregate size of the economy, well, then people would say that Bangladesh is much richer than New Zealand, because it is, its economy is much larger. Right. But of course, what matters is per capita. When we look at per capita GDP or per capita income, it doesn't seem that the native-born population benefits very much from the immigrant ah. But the immigrants do benefit, and that's sure. something to consider. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, that was a great lesson the last few minutes in the great Mark Twain quote of the three kinds of lies. Lies, damned lies, and statistics. <laughs> I mean, because obviously you can use a lot of those statistics to make arguments whatever direction you want to make. But that that's really interesting stuff. Well done. Um, and I also think... I don't know how much of it is when you when you see people's 
reaction to immigration, and I don't know how much you want to differentiate between legal immigration and illegal immigration. Obviously, we got a ton of illegal immigration going on right now. But I think people see, you know, in their schools, you got a bunch of people that don't speak English and their school's struggling to deal with it. Your ER is the regular hospital for a lot of people who are here who don't have any sort of uh, healthcare or insurance, anything like that, and clogs. I mean, there's a lot of gumming up the works of systems that weren't designed for this. Isn't that where a lot of people's attitudes come from, do you think? Sure, sure. I mean, people don't know the statistics. Here's what you get. Again, you get 54% from the survey of income and program participation shows of immigrant households using one or more welfare programs. We estimate that it's 59% for illegals, but 52% for legal immigrant households. I was going to ask that, yeah. Yeah, both are very high, and the illegals can like receive more, receive, uh, use more programs, but the legals can use programs that get more benefits. So it's a little bit complicated. But the short answer is they're both really high. Let me let me tell your listeners this though, so that they don't have to leave with that. The rate for the native born is thirty nine percent. Yes, that's right. It's extremely common in America for the native-born population. And, and you don't want to know what it is in California? I mean, in California, it's, it's even higher. It's 41% for native-born households use one or more of the welfare programs. And even if you say, you know, you might say, well, which programs? Can you exclude some and get a difference? Yeah, you can exclude the free school lunches and breakfasts. But you still get 35%. And in California, you still get 53% for the immigrants. You still get, uh, for the illegal immigrants, you get 56%. And for the legal immigrants in California, excluding the free school lunch program, you still get 53%. No one program drives the numbers. They're just using a lot of programs across the board. And again, native welfare use is very high, and immigrants is higher still. And California kind of is the tops. They're the most, one of the most generous states. Um, now, the, Generous. The is, I like the word generous. Yes, they're generous. <laughs> well, I'm glad well, I'm being so generous. I didn't realize yeah, I had a choice. Right. That's right. You're being generous. Um, the other thing to remember is people say, well, yeah, but wait, how can the illegal immigrants get so much? The short answer is, I can run through it quick. It's the U.S. born children. They can receive anything. Also, not all programs are barred, like free school, lunch, and WIC. Anyone can receive those programs. Um, also, a number of states, including California, provide Medicaid even to illegal adults. And, of course, all their U.S. born children could get it. And there are other states that provide the food stamps. Um, also, because we give out, I know this sounds shocking to people, we could explain it, we give out work authorization to illegal immigrants. So they're technically illegally in the United States. They're called inadmissible aliens, if you want to know the term. But we've given them social security numbers so they can work. But this allows them to access cash benefits from the earned income tax credit. You don't pay any federal income tax if your income's low enough, and you get sometimes a check for four or $5,000 from the government. And Yes, illegal immigrants can and do get that check because they have the work authorization. You know, they're, they're just, okay, so they're just so you understand that that happens. Now, that's not all illegal immigrants. Don't get me wrong. Sure. That's what happens. Well, and just to make it clear, I mean, we always say this. I don't begrudge anybody doing this. Man, if, if, you, if you knew you could get in and have a kid in the United States and what the path that's going to set them on, I, hell yeah, I would do that. Um, right. And, and look, the other that's right. Look. We have no evidence that's probably happening, but that's not what drives the numbers. No evidence this is fraud. And let me tell you something else. 
83% of immigrant households have at least one worker. 94% of illegal immigrant, of illegal immigrants. It's 83 for all immigrant households. And it's 94% for illegal immigrant households have at least one worker. The comparison with the native-borns is 73%. Whoa. But work... Yeah, work and welfare go together just fine. All the programs we've been discussing, you can get the earned, well, the earned income tax credit is for workers, but you can get WIC and free school lunch and live in public housing and be on Medicaid uh, and many other things, even if you work, if your income is low enough. So if you're like a family of four and you make less than 40000 a year, most welfare programs are uh, are open to you and in california in specific the the income thresholds tend to be high so they tend to give you a lot and 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 you're eligible for just about everything uh, other states like texas or florida are more restrictive but still you can get lots of programs work does not in any way preclude welfare use if you had to put this whole phenomenon in a bumper sticker when it comes to immigrant workers it's there's a high cost to cheap labor but it's borne by taxpayers. The costs are diffuse. They're borne by everyone, whereas the employer and maybe the consumer who's using the services, they get the benefit, but everyone has to pay. So, and that, no, go ahead. so you get your lawn mowed for what you feel like is a really great price or house cleaned or whatever, but your taxes are, go, are so high. Right. I, mean, I think that's, that's the way to think about it. Exactly. And, and so the short answer is okay, but maybe we need these workers. But I would add one other thing, and that is that one of the things that's happening in America, one of the most troubling trends, is all the U.S. born people of all races, black, Hispanic, and white, we've seen this phenomenon, um, sitting on the economic sidelines. That is, they neither work. Yep. Nor do they look for work, which means every unemployment number you see does not include right. them. So let me give you just one example. If we look at men who have only a high school education or less, in 1960, only seven of them were entirely out of the labor market, neither working nor looking for men, looking for work. Today, it's 25%. So we have a new, millions of less educated Americans sitting on the sidelines. So if we really do need workers, my solution is that it would make more sense to let wages rise and help the working poor, and this would help attract Americans who are sitting on the sidelines back. But you'd probably need to reform the welfare system and especially the disability system. Yeah, a long right. explanation, a lot of these numbers reflect what happened is we reformed welfare and everyone just went on disability. Yep. I mean, that's, yep. a, that's a gross gross oversimplification hey this is talk radio that's what we do um i gotta interrupt you just because you hit us with a blizzard of stuff there all of it really really good man you're speaking our language we cover those topics so often and the number of healthy men who are who can choose not to work i mean when when in world history have you ever been able to choose not to work as a healthy man but you can choose not to work in our current society you might have to change based on all those stats change it from the center for immigration studies to the center of we're already a socialist country studies right i mean people have that misconception there's really not the extensive nature of america's welfare system is not that different than many western european countries i mean the, the european countries differ but that's one reason why if you have a relatively lax immigration system which our legal system is mostly based on family relationships not skills and of course illegal immigration it's not very selective at all. 
And so what the administration is doing by releasing so many people in the United States, that's the part I think the public still doesn't quite get. It's not that people, people are doing this in enormous numbers, slipping past the Border Patrol, but that's not mostly what's happening. They're being caught and then released, or they're presenting right. themselves right. at the border and being presented uh, and being released under a variety of what I would argue is abuse of the law using parole and asylum and such. But the point is... Um, that's what's happening. So if you had a wall that no one could ever get past between the ports of entry, it might not make that much difference. Right. At this I point see your point because, because yeah. being released. Right. Hey, we gotta we gotta take a break. I really enjoyed your time. I'm glad we could get you on. We're gonna talk to you again, Stephen Camarada, with the Center for Immigration Studies. That was great stuff. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man, he was good. We gotta have him on again when Joe's here. Love that stuff. So interesting, looking at statistics from a number of different ways, which people rarely do. Anyway, uh, we got to introduce Katie Green to one of the worst Christmas songs we've been playing for years. I bet she hasn't heard this. Coming up next. Armstrong and Getty. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.